Welcome to Reconciling Grace, a program where church leaders discuss various topics from the Bible. During the discussions, there may or may not always be agreement from every panel member on every point, but there is full agreement on the fact that the way to God the Father is through the reconciling grace of Jesus Christ. Welcome to another episode of Reconciling Grace. My name is Pete Vecchi. It's good to be with you today. We have our regular panelists today, starting from my left, Vicki Cundiff, Mick Wells, and Steve Wilson. And Steve is going to be more or less leading this discussion today on the topic of what should Christians believe about the Bible? Uh, is there anything else I need to say about that, Steve? No. All right. So we look to the Bible for answers. We study the Bible. But how do we know we can trust the Bible? What do we need to believe as Christians about the Bible? That's what we're going to be talking about today. And there's a few key terms that Christians use when describing the Bible. Uh, sometimes they'll say it's inspired. And there are a couple of scripture verses that back that up. Let's uh, start by reading 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is God-breathed. All Scripture is God-breathed, okay? We can talk about exactly what that verse means in a second. And 2 Peter 1.20. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. Okay, so these things aren't just coming from the prophets. It's not just coming from regular people. It's God-breathed. So when you hear... Scripture is inspired, or it's the inspired Word of God. How do you understand that? Well, I see it as uh, God's written truth uh, provided <clears throat> in, the, in the manner He deemed appropriate um, to, to the world. And uh, there was a quote I can't recall, but it's just an amazing thing how the Scriptures written by X number of authors over a period of well over a thousand years or so, uh, creates a comprehensive, coherent uh, message. And it's like uh, the Word of God developed in that miraculous way and given to mankind to show the, the truth, almost a test to itself as to its auth true authorship coming from uh, our God. Mm-hmm. And I, I looked that up, too. It was just something I came across. And there was 40 different writers over 1,500 years. Wow. Right. So but yet everything gels together in the Bible, you know, which proves that God was leading them along and inspiring them, speaking to them about what they were writing down. Okay. So the veracity of Scripture, the, the way that it's all cohesive, uh, points us to the, the truth of it, the inspiration of it. Mm-hmm. Were you getting more or less to the question, though, of what does it mean to be inspired? I'm not sure if that's the direction yeah, you're let's going. Yeah, talk, let's talk about what is the, the manner of the inspiration. Did, did God dictate to these 40 writers exactly what words to write? Or did he uh, was he working in their spirits and kind of inspiring them in a way that uh, we might be inspired today by looking at something beautiful, by the experiences that we have? You know, they can inspire us. To, uh, to write things, to say things. Was that how God worked with them, or was it more literal, this is exactly what I want you to say? 
Yes. I like those. I like saying yes to things like (laughs) Uh that. Because honestly, I think that God probably used both and they're not, uh, the, the, the term I like to hear is mutually exclusive. Uh, there might have been times when the author almost heard, probably almost audibly, God dictating things. I mean, let's, let's say looking at Moses and the Ten Commandments and the words he got from God on Mount Sinai that he put on the tablets, those were direct dictation from God. I think other people were were inspired within their spirits. I, I think of the words of Paul. I can't remember the exact spot where it was, where Paul starts talking about, now this command I have from the Lord about this, but now this part, this is from me, not from the Lord, but I think that I too have the Holy Spirit. So there are various ways, I believe, that God inspired the, the people who wrote these things that became part of our Holy Bible. I agree with that, and I've experienced that myself. There are things that I have heard distinctly the Holy Spirit speaking to me about that I have written down, but most of the time it's this inspiration. You know, I know as a, as a preacher that, you know, you can take this thought of the Scripture and start rolling with it, and you God is inspiring you. He's leading you along, you know, because when you get done, you're like, wow, I couldn't have come up with that by myself. But at the same time, I think that I agree with you that he does both. You know, we still use our own um, language, our own perception of things. You know, you know, you and I are both preachers, and so Pete, and so you know, we might get God might speak to us about a particular scripture and a thought of what the principle of what that message is going to be about. But it'll come out completely different. You're going to use different illustrations probably than me. Mm -hmm. You're going to use a different style. But the meaning of it is all going to be the same thing. And that's how I see the Bible coming together by all those different authors coming together with the same purpose and the same meaning. I was looking Mm -hmm. at Scripture, too, for passages which suggest that the the message had to come from God in in some manner. Uh, It's just almost impossible for some person to to make it up and i was drawn to uh first thessalonians 4 15 which talks about the coming of the lord it says according to the lord's word we tell you that we who are still alive who are left until the coming of the lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep this is this is big time interesting to people listening because they may be hearing this for the first time and uh, i looked up a commentary and it, it says uh, this is li- literally uh, a most direct claim to plenary inspiration. It, it means by way of a divine revel. Excuse me. He says, in effect, I tell you, this is a message straight from God. Paul is saying that as a preface to what he's about to share. Is like I didn't make this up, and I didn't hear it, and. Uh, but it's from God, and how I got that, I, I don't know, uh, speaking as Paul. But it's from God. You can take it to the bank. It's divine truth. Mm-hmm. Well, and even in the Old Testament, the prophets, you know, I teach the Sunday school class in Hosea, and in this one section it says, hear the word of the Lord, and then he quotes what the Lord mm-hmm. told him to tell the people. Yeah, it's kind of a, a prophetic formula. Thus saith the Lord, this is what the Lord says. And they would speak. Uh, as far as we're to understand it, this is actually what God told them to say. And yet there are other parts of Scripture where it doesn't say, thus saith the Lord, 
but we still believe those are inspired words of God. So, yeah, I agree. There are different uh, ways that God could inspire us. Then we get into this idea of the Scripture is infallible or the Scripture is inerrant. And Christians have different views on that. Let's talk about what each of those terms mean, and then we can uh, talk about what we think about those things. So if you hear someone say, Scripture is infallible, technically what they're saying is, I believe everything the Bible says about the faith, about Christianity itself, about how I have to be saved, about how God wants me to live, all those things, the Bible is completely right. But if I believe the Bible is infallible, I might not believe that it's true in everything. I might say, well, historically, it might have some things wrong. Scientifically, it might not be quite right. And so this is where you get Christians who say, yes, I believe in the Bible, but I also believe in the Big Bang. I also believe in evolution. I also believe that uh, history didn't quite play out the way the Bible says. Maybe some of those miracles didn't really happen the way the Bible says. So that's infallible. That's scripture, uh, the infallibility of Scripture. And then there are other Christians who take it a step further and say, no, 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 the Bible is inerrant, which means there are no errors, no errors at all. If it says six days creation, it means six days creation. Um, if it says God parted the sea, he actually parted the sea. There's no other explanation for it. There's no metaphors. Um, there are metaphors, but they're also to be taken literally. So there's no errors in Scripture, is what someone would mean if they say Scripture is inerrant. So the question for you is, do you come down on infallibility or inerrancy, and why? Can I say yes? <laughs> Only if you give me an explanation. <laughs> well, I think that part of what I'm getting at is this. A, a friend of mine was just talking to me the other day, and he reminded me of an old Mike Warnke quote, um, who said, "Here we are, um, Christians who are who are um, have the sword of the spirit, the 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 helmet of salvation, or the breastplate of righteousness, the 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 you know shoes fitted with the peace of the gospel. And what do we do so often? We end up polishing our armor and fighting amongst ourselves. And I think this is one of those things where we will find that Christians will disagree." Um, because we sometimes will get so hung up on, well, is it infallible? Is it inerrant? Um, what I have found is that I'm not sure I can say which way it is now, um, as far as as far as inerrancy, because I, I've, I've narrowed it down to three or four things. I should say is because there was first the inspiration, the author was inspired. Second, though, then that author had to transmit it. How did that author do it? Writing it down? Was there ever any indication that that author had a cramp in his hand or her hand and, you know, made a mistake with, with the letter they wrote? Or is it a misspelling? Uh, then once it was transmitted, all of a sudden now, what about the non-original language? It had to be translated, and then it has to be interpreted. And somewhere along the line, even here in the English language, I, I can't even tell you without going and counting. There must be at least 50 different English translations of the Bible now. So 
can I say it is inerrant? Well, very possibly at the inspiration point, but I don't know at what point we can say that there's absolutely no error in it when it gets down to us here in the 21st century. I think you have to look at the concept of error on various levels. And, you know, sometimes we get caught up in the connotations of adjectives like infallible and inerrant and so forth. As long as we're free to do that, I like to think that the Bible is inerrant in its teachings. There are some differences in the Bible. I mean, if, if all Bibles read exactly the same, we wouldn't have so many translations. Somebody's once noted that there are minor differences in manuscripts. They're called variants, but none of these variants impact or change key Christian beliefs or claims. And I like the word uh, in terms of God's role over uh, the integrity of the Bible as one of superintending and little less emphasis on dictation because we don't have the original autographs. We don't know what was written. Uh, it was written in Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. Those are the autographs uh, of the Scripture. So we, we, don't, we don't really have those, but we do have translations that say some manuscripts omit this and some manuscripts add that. Technically, those differences or variants might be considered errors, but we don't have the, the autographs or even the know-how to identify that specifically. But I want to say I believe that God superintended that the truth of his teachings, which are, is free of error, comes through, and he superintended that through the years. That's great. I think that that's a very good way of looking at it. And we need to take a quick break for our sponsor. And I think, Steve, you might be able to pick up on that after we get back, don't you think? Sure. All right. So let's take our quick break and we'll be right back with Reconciling Grace. And we're back with Reconciling Grace, talking about the topic, what should Christians believe about the Bible? And we were just talking before the break about infallible and inerrant, and Vicki would like to make a comment that we didn't quite get to before the break. Okay, so, you know, I'm going to say inerrant because I think the Bible is accurate. Um, I think if you go any other direction that you're going to open up the door, like Steve was saying earlier, of people to interpret whatever they want to believe, which we see that all over the place, thinking that you can believe um, in evolution, even though the Bible tell, talks to us about how the world was created. Um, there's a lot of different directions that we could go in in that because the Bible, I don't, I don't see that as uh, being something that is in error, um, typos or anything like that. I agree with you, Mick, about um, the teachings. You know, they're, they're not in error, the things about the Bible that we believe about that. So uh, for me, I'm going to believe and still believe with all my heart that it, it is inerrant because God is, has inspired it and it's God's word to us. And if we don't believe that way, we're going to open up interpretation for whatever we want to believe. And I don't think that that's what the word of God is. I think the word of God is truth. Okay. So we've kind of touched on it before, but I want to kind of get into it now. 
we say, okay, the Bible is either infallible or inerrant. Uh, how would you answer someone who says, and, and Pete kind of touched on this, well, it was when it was written, or it was when the author of that book, that letter, that uh, piece of poetry, whatever it was, when they first had that idea, that inspiration, that was infallible or inerrant. But now, who knows? Who knows that what we're reading is actually what God wanted us to understand? Because it's gone through so many scribes writing it down, maybe they made a mistake. It's gone through so many translations. How do we know that the version that we're reading tells us what God wants us to know? Well, I, I think that's the beauty of the integrity of the Bible and all those variables coming together into a comprehensive, cohesive uh, message. And I think uh, I, I per, I'll speak personally here that um, I think we're selling God short if we believe he's not capable of superintending that the actual truth that he intended to communicate uh, through the ages. I, th I think he's done it very beautifully um, with the translations, with the different languages, you know, despite the challenges of Babel, his word and his truth are being uh, sent out there, and it all makes sense, and it's internally consistent with itself. And to me, uh, the miracle of that uh, stands out and bolsters my faith in the teachings that are recorded. Yeah, I think it was um, Josh McDowell uh, in his book, maybe Evidence That Demands a Verdict or something like that, talked about how the the different um, differences, the different differences, yes, that's actually what I meant to say, is uh, are so small between the things that are in different manuscripts and and such that basically it's, it's nothing of substance. And so the overall... Um, message that we get in the Bible, I believe, is is correct. And I think what happens is we have a lot of people who want to philosophically really talk about the difference in English between inerrant and infallible. And, you know, we want to get all to this academia stuff and, and philosophical stuff. And the bottom line is it's the Word of God, and that's what I believe it to be. Okay, so we believe that God has superintended, to use mixed words, superintended the transcription and the translation all the way from the beginning inspiration to that writer. Uh, but I'd also say sometimes the Bible is still hard to understand, right? It takes study. It takes uh, thinking about, okay, what did this mean for those people back then who originally heard it so that we don't get confused and think, oh, there's an error in the Bible simply because we don't understand it. Mm -hmm. But speaking of those original uh, hearers, what would you say to someone who says, well, maybe the Bible was inspired, maybe it was infallible slash inerrant, but it was only for the audience of that day. And so reading it thousands of years later, uh, it doesn't have as much weight for us anymore. It doesn't speak to us the same way it did to them. It's not as authoritative for us today because we're, uh, our society is so much different. The times have changed. What would you say to someone who says the Bible is not authoritative for modern Christians? We don't get to shape truth. You know, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. God is truth. God designed truth 
of what we know truth to be. And so I was thinking about this, uh, and there's a scripture, I'm going to read it, uh, Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 24, and I'm just going to read a portion of it. And uh, in other words, how people want to change the word of God. And the scripture says, God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them, so they have no excuse for not knowing God. They knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks, and they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. And so what we see, not just now in our world, but clear back from the beginning, uh, people want to decide what they want to be truth. And if we do that, then we're going to be all over the place. Somebody has to set the standard, and God has done that. And there's going to be people trying to pull down that standard. They don't want to believe that truth. And I think that he explains that very well in that scripture in Romans it's because they don't want to believe the truth of the way things they really are. And, you know, there's people that try to claim miracles of the Bible, certain things didn't happen. And I guess Jonah's a real good one because people think that that's crazy. How could that ever happen? Yet in the scriptures, in the gospels, Jesus makes reference to that. Mm-hmm. And there's there's been more and more uh, questions about miracles that are be- become uh, proven to be true. And this is not about that, so I'm not going to get into any of those uh, but God sets the standard for truth, and people want to change it, so they want to try to change it by their culture. But they can, you know, we know that they can try to do that, but it's not going to change God's truth, and it's not going to change the outcome of where we're going to spend eternity if we don't believe the truth. Mm, amen. And, you know, a lot of times, this is just an observation of mine, is that the people who want to continue to believe the Bible, which, again, I do— and Vicky, you do, I believe everybody in here does, mm-hmm. um, we are the ones who are kind of looked down on by those who seem to know better, but better on what? Based on their understanding of truth or their understanding of what is important. And isn't that really the the bedrock problem of humanity is that we're trying to do it on our own without God and that we need to turn to God because we need a Savior, and we try to do it on our own strength, trying to attain God through human um, abilities. We need to just turn to God, and mm-hmm. God's given us the Bible to show us how to do it. Mm-hmm. I think in terms of looking at does the Scripture, has it changed, or does it? can we apply it to our life? Um, is kind of magnified here when the first verse we read tonight, uh, for example, was all scripture is God breathed. Now, who who recorded that? Paul. What was the scripture when Paul was alive? It was the Old Testament. So the New Testament is telling us that the scripture Paul is referring to is is God breathed. I mean, it, it's valid. And I kind of wondered, this is kind of off track a little bit, I've kind of wondered whether, did Paul really realize that his observations recorded under inspiration of the Holy Spirit would also be considered Scripture? But I know that the Scripture back then was the Old Testament. And yet Peter talked about the things that Paul wrote as being Scripture. Yes. Mm -hmm. 
So I want to circle back around to inspiration. And uh, we, we've uh, talked about other Christian writers. We've quoted different Christian writers uh, during our discussion. And I want to ask, well, what about their inspiration? If they're being inspired to write what they feel that God wants them to write, why don't we have more books of the Bible? Why can't we say, okay, well, uh, something that, that Josh McDowell wrote is now in the Bible. What's the difference between what Christians today are writing and what the biblical writers did? Well, I think that drives from the view of the closed canon. I mean, the Bible that you and I are referring to in this discussion was basically... Uh, it was basically recognized as coalesced in the in the fifth century A.D., and that's the Bible we're talking about. Um, I know there are other versions of the Bible out there, and there are a lot more books in the Bible uh, that is uh, accept, that are accepted by the Orthodox Church, the Roman Catholic Church, uh, but the Bible we're talking about. I think it's a, a great leap of faith to, to recognize that if God superintended that the canon of the Bible we're talking about was closed in the 5th century, then I think it negates the question you're asking, because if, if it's a closed canon, that's the Word of God, and I can't add to it. In fact, there's a curse on people who, who add to the Scripture. So let me... Okay, so... You're saying God uh, superintended, God guided those people to say, this is the Bible. We don't need any more books added to this. This is uh, somehow these books set above uh, others, other Christian writings as our standard. So let's say, let's take that as being true. Then I, I want to dig a little deeper and say, okay, what then is the value or what is the purpose of Christian writers doing what they do today? Why in churches do we say, okay, we're going to do a book study on uh, this new Christian author's book instead of saying, okay, no, we're going to keep doing book studies on James or Peter or Genesis, yeah, etc. I, per I personally believe those writers, uh, well-intended and, and well-educated and very good at what they do are illuminating or seeking to illuminate Christian principles that God has, has set forth. I don't think it's uh, changing truth, adding to truth, but illuminating what God has already provided in His Word. In a sense, it's like what a preacher does when they, when they preach a sermon. It's just in writing. Right. Yeah, so we can thank God for His inspiration, thank God for loving us enough to give us his message in the written word. And uh, no matter what we believe about inerrancy or an infallibility, we can trust that it is God's word that it does guide us. And we've uh, just kind of scratched the surface, but uh, we are uh, limited by the constraints of time. We are getting close to the end of today's episode on what should Christians believe about the Bible. Now, uh, you may be listening to this on faithandfriendsradio.com. Also know that these episodes are available on podcast, on your favorite podcast platform. So if you've missed any of the past episodes, please 
go to your favorite podcast platform and give us a listen. We're here, hopefully, to be edifying you. And so as we get ready to close out today's episode, I want to thank Steve Wilson for leading the discussion today. Our other panelists, Mick Wells, Vicki Cundiff, this is Pete Vecchi, and I want to thank you for joining us for today's episode of Reconciling Grace. May God bless you in all you do. This has been Reconciling Grace. If you have a comment or a question for our panel, or if you would like to invite one or more of our panelists to share with your church or group, please send an email to rg at faithandfriendsradio.com. And thank you for listening to Reconciling Grace. Reconciling Grace.